Cookie wrote a bookie. Nice. Thank you. <laughs> Have you told the podcast at all that you were writing anything, or is this just a straight raw announcement? Um, the podcast listeners are some of very few people that knew. Yeah. Maybe a slight explanation of our lack of podcasting this year. Yeah. But Emma has released her book, officially. So this podcast is going to be me asking Emma questions about the writing process and anything else that she has to share about her book. Figuring out how I'm so genius of a writer and all that. How do you do it? (laughs) So witty. Yes, I'm very happy to have released my book and I think it's an awesome book. Do you think it's awesome? It's award-winning. What award did it win? Best book of the year by me. <laughs> you didn't write shit. Just kidding. <laughs> you now have no awards. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Emma. I'm Ian. And this is our podcast, Nobody's Talking About Everything, Solving Nothing. If we get lucky, we might solve something. you describe the book how many words do i have uh like forty thousand. okay i'll just use four (laughs) (laughs) i would say coming of age memoir yeah i thought you were gonna say like hilarious and thought-provoking no i was going to say it focuses on elements of comedy spookiness history juvenile delinquency Some of the main story elements definitely are learning what it's like to try to be a part of a social group, seeing times of life that are special without knowing that they're special. And I think you do a really good job of describing it as somebody who's in the moment, but we're still able to appreciate the perspective and the details from somebody who's learned from the moment. Yeah. How would you describe the book? It's about the main character's self-discovery Obviously, coming of age, like you said, breaking out of her shell. The shell was broke. Yeah. But then I just, like, like a hermit crab, you know, crawled over to the a bigger shell. Mm-hmm. And I've been in it ever since. But I think it's very funny. I hope it's very thought-provoking. It's a very enjoyable read. It definitely hooks you in. It makes you really like the energy and atmosphere around the main character. And no matter what your 15-year-old self was like or childhood self was like, you'll find a way to connect or see the humanness in the story and the main character, which is you. Mm -hmm. Character is loosely based on me. No. (laughs) No, it's exactly based on you. It is a real story based in real life with real people and real places, as far as we know. Because you're saying, like, maybe we aren't even real? Well, I'm saying our most listened to podcast is Simulation Theory, and they may or may not think that anything's real. (laughs) All right, let's get into some questions. All right, we're going to start with some juicy ones. I don't think, I mean, like, what juice is there? This is, this is juicy. Okay. Yeah. Does writing energize or exhaust you? Both. It mostly exhausts me, and then some very little thing is what energizes me one small little breakthrough or one idea and then i could have one idea and then write for like five hours straight or like five weeks straight there were definitely times in the writing process where you seemed stuck but once you got a breakthrough which could be as big as an entire chapter or as small as a 
tweaking of a line and you would run with that so hard and fast that all of a sudden you'd have another 50 pages done. Some of the lines that I wrote are so inspiring to me. Like I almost feel detached from them in like, you know, I keep thinking like, oh, I could never write something that good again. Even though like I consistently wrote excellent lines throughout the book, but they seem so few and far between when I'm writing them just because it takes so long to write them that I'm just always trying to find those lines. And when I do get them and nail them down, then I'm just on a rocket. You should consider writing those words on like our wall. The lines of I'll never write anything good again. I always have a whole wall of (laughs) (laughs) this will be my only good book. (laughs) Could I ever write anything like that? I meant more like the good lines. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, very clear to me which are the good lines and which are the good chapters. In in my mind, there's only like four good chapters in the book. But then when I'm reading it, it's like every other chapter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What literary pilgrimages have you gone on? We may have told the podcast already we went down to our hometown and did like a tour of the school, a tour of my childhood home, and then just tootled around to other landmarks in the city and went to the homecoming football game which we used to march at when we were in high school which may or may not be in the <laughs> book so that was quite the pilgrimage like we said set in a real place based on real things does a big ego help or hurt writers um i think it hurts in so much that you need a lot of confidence to sell the book which i feel like i've been doing okay at i don't know I'm happy with it so far, at least. Obviously, a lot of people could do better than me at it, but... You're saying a small ego makes that hard. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, obviously, most people say, like, you should have a small ego, but definitely some type of ego helps you be confident. And obviously, intellectually, I know that the book is great, but you always have those doubts in the back of your mind, like, will other people like it or whatever. Yeah, having a big ego makes it easier to walk up to somebody and just be like, hey, you, buy my book. You're going to love this. (laughs) Yeah. How the fuck do you know that? And I definitely have surprised myself somewhat in like, I've sent so many emails and so many messages. And I guess I didn't think that I would do that or do it that much, I guess. And that's helped a lot. So one of the parts of this book is that Emma self-published it. So she has been the writer, editor promoter, marketer, all the above. Hey, your mom's been a pretty good salesperson, actually. Yeah. Plus, the best type of salesman is a zero-wage salesman. Zero commission. Free 99. Thanks, Karen. <laughs> but, like I said, when I have those moments where I do really, really good writing or when I edit those parts and read back on them, I definitely do feel very proud of myself. And pride and ego are, like, the same thing. So. That's true. Good observation. Have you ever gotten reader's block? Yes, I ebb and flow so much of my reading. Sometimes I'll go like two months without reading and then sometimes I'll, like this week I read. 50 hours. Yeah. It's Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joining some book clubs to help promote the book and one of them's in two days and the other one is in a week. So we had to quickly read some books which has actually been good. It's kind of fun to read books that you wouldn't normally read, I guess. With time crunch. Yeah. 
Do you try more to be original or to deliver the readers the juicy content that they want? That one's obvious, right? Original. <laughs> you got good juice, though. I, and this is probably, like, not good of me, but I would say that I focused very, very little in writing this about will the reader enjoy reading this. You thought this book is for me. Yeah. Fuck yeah. And I'm very, very happy how it turned out as so enjoyable to read. Maybe that's why it's so enjoyable to read. I have no idea. But like, I never thought what can make this scene more thrilling or, you know, more dramatic or whatever it is. So you heard it here first. If you don't like the book, Emma doesn't give a fuck. (laughs) No, I just think that that is what makes it feel real. You know, if you read any book by like a huge author with a big publishing house, they have a template for how a thriller goes, how a romance book goes. Those two genres especially. They all are the exact same with different words thrown in. And my book is very real. Ain't no mold for this book in a good way. Fuck yeah. Do you think someone could be a writer if they don't feel emotions strongly? Yeah, I think it would just result in a different type of writing. That's where we go with nonfiction. Yeah, I think that I focused very much on... Like, I didn't write too much about internal dialogue. I do definitely have some internal dialogue for my own character, but especially like the more dramatic scenes, it's more just told through action and dialogue. And then maybe like the next day you'd hear what I thought about it in reflection, but you wouldn't have like him say like a dramatic line and then like hear what's going on inside my head, Mm -hmm. which is very common, especially in romance. Especially in romance. Yeah. Yeah. He had me quaking in my boots. Tessa Bailey. (laughs) If you could tell your younger writing self anything, what would it be? Holy shit, you wrote a book. (laughs) Yeah. I wish that I just would have written more in the past, just of anything. But I'm, like I said, pleasantly surprised with how it turned out, given that it's my first book. So I don't feel like I lost too much time. I don't know. Who knows? Maybe I would have been better... If you learn anything when you're younger, you can learn it better usually, but... I think it's just good advice for anybody that the time to create is now. Not to get caught up in learning too much or waiting. Just create and get revisions and put things out there and you will just keep getting better. Yeah. I learned so much as I was going and I like learned it in time to edit and put it in the book. (laughs) I mean, obviously there's a ton that I haven't learned yet, but... Again, I think it turned out well. What do you owe the real people upon whom you base your characters named after them as their real people <laughs> as them? <laughs> um, the main thing that I always strided toward, obviously, is just the truth. And I feel nervous writing about real people, especially if there's any like small bad things that I've said. But I hope that people can realize that it's you know, from the point of view of a teenager. And they obviously were teenagers too at the time. So I hope we all can like cut ourselves some slack for any mistakes that we made in the past or, you know, not be embarrassed by the 15 year old version of ourselves. Uh, But I know that I said, I believe it's the truth of what happened. But at the very least, it's the truth of what my character at the time perceived, which is the point of view of the book. So 
Hell yeah. I don't feel that I wronged anybody in what I said. And I hope that nobody feels that way. Which is another way of saying that uh, she doesn't owe shit to anybody. (laughs) (laughs) How did publishing your first book change your process of writing or even your perception of what it would be like? Obviously, you mentioned vast amounts of surprise because you expected to be a writer, not a bookseller. But just talk about that a little bit more. Yeah. Like I said, I learned a lot as I wrote. And so editing my first half of the book was so much more laborious than editing the second half of the book. But since I published, I mean, I hired a professional formatter. And so I definitely learned a lot in that from him. So like the next time I do that, I will, like I definitely wasted some time um, trying to do like my own formatting or not knowing exactly how it should look and different things like that. I think part of it too, which has been pretty cool is that while you've put in a lot of work and learned a lot along the way and had to take on many different hats outside of the formatting and the cover art, it's very possible to do this. To self-publish a book on Amazon is not rocket science in the slightest. You know, if you have the creativity and the drive to do it, it's definitely within reach for, I would say, anybody who knows how to use a computer, really. Yeah, I was going to say, like, the technical side of it is definitely easy. The actual writing of the book, that's the hard part. I mean, like, in theory, yeah, anyone could do it. Obviously, you know, how it would turn out would be differing in your actual skill of writing. But I think that just depends how much brain power you put toward it. Because I think that we all have a natural ability to storytell. We all have access to a thesaurus. We all can like story map. And I don't know. I think that so much of my best ideas came from just like deep, deep thought. And that doesn't come naturally to a lot of people. They're more like scattering, I guess. Mm. Yeah, I think that that's totally true. I think that the process of writing a book is definitely difficult at best. But I think that some people have an issue of like, they don't want to embark on a big project because they feel like it won't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. And I think that with something like a book up until pretty recently, you were to some extent helpless about making a book. Like if you wanted to, your options were either get with a publishing company or spend a shitload of money to like print your own book, which is super money intensive. And also somebody else controls the publishing company. So whereas like with you, anybody could paint something and go sell it somewhere, but like a book now, you know, if you can get through the hard part, which is writing the book, very hard to do. That's by far the hardest part. If yeah. you have the drive, the like, publishing isn't a worry. No, like you can get it and do it, which is, I think, cool. People yeah. don't expect that. Yeah, it is odd. Same with podcasting, like, you know. 10 years ago, no one would think to do a podcast or maybe even be able to do it without, you know, we don't have any professional equipment. We just have our laptop and you can find free sites to do everything on now. But still, we don't know anybody with a podcast and I don't know anybody with a book. And so like, whenever I tell people that I wrote a book, they're shocked. (laughs) And I don't know if they're shocked because they can't believe that like anybody wrote a book or... I don't know. Like, why do you think they're shocked? I think that they can't believe that people just do cool shit with their brains and with their time. I think people are confused as to like how much time is in the day, because if you don't waste a lot of it on certain things, you're going to be able to produce more shit. Mm -hmm. So 
What's the most difficult thing about writing characters from the opposite sex? Um, the vernacular was specific, but being with you definitely helps. And it, again, it was so specific that it really was easy to remember, I guess. And I definitely compiled a list of words that I just thought of throughout the process of writing that then I would go back and insert, you know, just like words from that time or that decade or just yeah, just remembering stuff that you guys said. Like teabag <laughs> or dank. Yeah, I think that you pretty much nailed it. The only thing that you didn't capture with like the teen males was like the constant internal dialogue of like, don't get a boner, don't get a boner, don't get a boner. <laughs> but like you said, not a whole lot of internal dialogue, especially for others. So <laughs> it was good use. What does literary success look like to you? This whole process of writing, I've forced myself to be okay with the prospect of only selling 10 books. And we already beat that thing. <laughs> Fuck yeah. But I don't really expect too much from here. I think of literary success as publishing a fucking book. Yeah. To me, the biggest accomplishment is just the writing of it. That was like the rewarding part and the fun part and the, the challenge and all that. What kind of research do you do and how long do you spend researching before beginning a book? Well, for me, it would be before beginning a chapter or a part because I didn't do any mapping or you know I just sat down and started writing but I would say that I did a lot of research it's all just random shit and some of it was fruitless and some of it was awesome you know I did research about a bunch of different historical things in the town you know what year was this built and what did the cheerleaders look like in 1950 what did you know like so many different historical things I looked up. I looked back at a yearbook from New London from the 30s and just things like that. Sometimes like that research would take me two hours and it would result in like one line. But I think those are like the coolest lines that I have. And I should have like kept a tally of all the research that I did because it's just like the most random list. And I just remember in those moments being like, okay, I'm on this website about like, I don't even know like a good example, but just the most random shit that a person would be like, how could this apply to your book? You know, like I looked up um, like the moon phases or like I always cross-checked the sunset time from that date so I could have accurate descriptions. And Emma would get really specific with the text she would send me. Do you remember the snow day this year? Like, what was the weather like? I'm like, uh, <laughs> I mean, I think, but you obviously do. So what was it? Or an even more nutty than that, because obviously those lines were the best lines. How many hours a day did you write or spend in the writing process? I feel like I wrote surprisingly consistently. I'd agree. You work more than I do. <laughs> I would say that I wrote probably like half or less of the nights. And then I wrote half or, or more of the days, probably more. Yeah, I think that on days where you would write, which was probably three out of five days a week or more, you pretty much write... Eight hours about. Eight hours. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it'd be very productive all during the day. Sometimes it'd be like twiddling my thumbs for hours and looking around at random shit, which like I said, sometimes it'd be fruitful and sometimes wouldn't and... Going down like different Facebook rabbit holes from like 2010. and There were many times where you put in 12 hour days and grinded. Yeah. Eight to eight. But again, that's not all writing. 
And I definitely could be more productive with like just getting my nose to the grindstone. And I think that I improved with that. It's definitely a lot easier to do editing just nonstop. Nobody grinds writing out except for R.L. Stein. So <laughs> he writes two books a week. <laughs> For editing, I could literally do it for like six hours without getting out of my chair and never go to a different web page. That's a little robotic, but you're very good at that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you want each book to stand on its own or are you trying to build a body of work with connections between each book? And not only just like, obviously, you might have more books to write about this, but kind of throughout your... Catalog? Future catalog, <laughs> yes. Um, I am betting that they would all be, like, recognizably mine. There's certain things that I'm really fascinated with that are repeated in the book, and I'm guessing I would only expand on them in the future. But obviously they would look different. They would be the same theme expressed in a different way. And I'm excited to... I, I think in a future book, I will have more freedom because this was a true story and I really, really focused on telling that story, not telling the best story, just telling that story. And in the future, I'll have a lot more like freedom of where to take it. I obviously took some divergence from the story in this book, but I imagine in normal fiction, it's much more. Hell yeah. Being able to like choose the occupation of the main character because that's something that you're interested in, you know. It's going to be some good shit that you crank out. Did you hide any secrets in your book that only a few people will find? Oh, yeah. That's like most of the book. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of my writing is like super esoteric. And, you know, it's supposed to be specifically nostalgic for people from that city or even just from like small town Midwest. But same with like the vocab, I definitely have more like heightened vocab in the book, but I really tried to make it readable, even if you didn't know that word. And I feel like I did the same thing with like extraneous references where I would still put in other things that would let the reader know exactly what it's referring to. Yeah, I think it's a really good balance of anybody can connect with it. But as somebody who was there, there's so many little references that make it feel just so intensely meaningful and i think like even if you aren't connected to the story those little things are what make it feel real mm -hmm. big time very real because so many books just read like oh this first named character walks down this nondescript road into this generic store and you know i don't know it's just so hallmarky I think that the details are incredibly special, not just for those there, but like you said, yeah, anybody's going to have a better, you know, when someone describes a unique character, even if it's nothing like what they've seen before, they think of unique people in their life or just grab onto certain things that stand out that make it feel real, like you said, in which it is a real book, so it better feel real. What was your hardest scene to write? Anything that was remotely sexual was really hard to write. Because I didn't want to use euphemisms because I just find that so like cheesy and just reminds me of like young adult fiction. Mm -hmm. And so it was hard to toe the line between like real but still being like delicate and not being like grotesque. Would you say that was like the most difficult part of your artistic process or would you have another thing you would point towards that was a major hurdle? It's hard to say like something specific just because like everything was so hard. 
like trying to turn one thought into a whole chapter. It's just staring at a blank page and having no idea what to write. It's just so daunting. Coming up with details to a scene that is, upon greater inspection, detailless, outside of <laughs> yeah. a line or a, a feeling, yeah. an undescribable feeling. And that's what's so weird about writing it, which I would have never thought, is that, like I said, everything about it is real. But because of the nature of the fact that it's from 11 years ago, I obviously don't remember every single painstaking detail. So obviously a vast majority of it is fabricated. You know, even if you wrote a story that takes place like a week ago, you're still making up like all the everything they're wearing and like most of the setting and just like... Whatever they have for breakfast. Yeah. You know, and all the dialogue. Unless it literally happened an hour ago, you're never going to remember any dialogue. So, like, all of that was fabricated. And when I first wrote the dialogue, it was quite a ways in. Mm -hmm. Like, it was, like, this summer that I wrote the dialogue. And I felt so out of my depths in that. And And once I started doing it, you know, it flowed well. But when you've never done that, it's quite overwhelming. Does your family support your career as a writer? Um, they tolerate it. We terminate it. <laughs> Would you say you're supportive of it? Fuck yeah! I read your book three times! Yeah. I read 300 more. I think that, though, like, at times, you, like, struggle to be supportive in certain scenarios. Yeah. Do you think that there was anything you could, like, point to that you think would be my pitfalls? Well, yeah, because, like, the book is about me dating my high school boyfriend. And so, like, obviously seeing such like a real representation of that was difficult yeah i think it took me a while to understand why you'd want to write a book about that and i think a lot of people would approach it in a very similar way and i think that that's something that i had to learn as a supporting partner and i think that once i got through that fucking hey i was so supportive it was insane yeah and i think both of us were really surprised to learn how real it would feel to read it Mm -hmm. and just how like submersive those scenes are i guess and so it's very like transportative mm-hmm. how long did it take you to write the book 1.5 years last summer i wrote like a short story version of just like the first well now it would probably be like the first 50 pages or something like that is like the rough outline of what i wrote it's mm-hmm. just like obviously hugely extrapolated and so much added and i wrote maybe like 10 to 15 pages last summer And a lot of it remains in the book, like way more than half of it. And then I cannot remember how much or what I did like over fall and winter of last year and like spring even like because in June, I just like hit the ground running and I only had like a fourth of the book done in June, basically. I feel like you edited that first thing just like over and over and over and just really did that i don't know i feel like you sat on that a lot and just like not even that like you edited it or something but just like soaked in the story and thought about where it could go because you had a lot of different ideas as to where how much you could pack into a book or how much you wanted to or where you wanted the story to end off or if you wanted it to end or however yeah i would say like i took that first 10 page and it's not an outline it was a short story like it was a fully formed story Obviously, it was vastly improved as time went on, but I, for probably six months, I had that timeline 
And I added to it like crazy. And I didn't go outside of that timeline pretty much. Mm -hmm. And I just like added some dialogue and like just added so many details and stuff. And, And that's the first third of my book now with even more additions later. But then I just like hit a wall where I was like, okay, I feel like that first third is so good. Now I need to like write the rest of the book. And I just had no idea where to go with it. And once I like started in on the next part, I just like cruised to the end. From June until October, I wrote hard so much. It was actually insane. Just plowing through everything. Very impressive. And if you had to do something differently as a child or teenager to become a better writer as an adult, what would you do? As a middle schooler and high schooler, really, I wish that I had read more. I think that would have definitely like expediated things and improved my vocabulary earlier. And the more you read, the more you can see like story structure. And the way I read now is so different from back then. And then just obviously, like I said, just writing. I wish as a teenager that I had written more and and kept a detailed diary journal of everything that happens in your life, everything that anybody says. Yeah. I would have had the book written by now. It would have just <laughs> written itself. Fuck. Any final words on your bookie or any future writing plans? Mm, the thought of undertaking a new book is so overwhelming. Take on a short story and see if it gets longer. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if I would outline a future book or if I would just take the same route. Just jump in balls deep. Figure it out along the way. Obviously, I gave a lot of thought to my book ending in a good way, wrapping up the story and whatever else. But until right before I published it, I did not give any thought to like my first chapter being like a gripping chapter or whatever. Because literally, again, I added so much to it. But like the bones of what my first chapter is was what I wrote on the first day, which is crazy. And the guts came afterwards, but the guts are good. Yeah. And I like changed it up a little bit to make it more concise. But yeah, I think it's a good chapter for being like the first thing that I wrote. Fuck yeah. I'm very proud of you. I think your book's very, very good. Can I believe that somebody that I'm married to wrote such a beautiful work of art? I can't wait for your book to come out. I'm not going to have one come out. At least not on any plans for it. But that's a really good way to build hype. (laughs) Do you think that we would ever want to write a book together? Fuck yeah. What roles would each of us have? Figure we just both split everything. Like we just assign different chapters to each other? No, I'm saying like we both write and we both edit. And then the final say is your say. Like most things that happen in our lives. (laughs) Is it going to be fiction or nonfiction? Will it be like a how to do a great marriage book? Mm, Are we qualified? Fuck yeah! (laughs) Marriage is good shit. Follow your dreams. Yeah, I have no idea what to write next. If you have any requests for Emma's future book, please send them to our email, nobodies.pod.email at gmail.com. Nice. You say follow your dreams. Writing a book wasn't my dream. What's your dream? I'm living my dream. Yeah, follow your dreams. Well, I'm saying that's independent of the book. My dream is just to be happy with you. Well, you are just a husband. So you're saying in your dream, I'm not in it. No, you're in it, but it's not specifically like it has to be in you saying you're any schlub. Any schlub that comes off the <laughs> Any other perfect schlubs out there? Any other vegan, atheist, liberal? Well, I'm guessing that most vegans are also atheist and liberal. That's what I thought when I first became vegan. And then <laughs> yeah. I realized that 
apparently, just like anybody, vegans are also batshit crazy, but at least maybe not quite as much as anybody else. But we know almost like no vegans, so you just mean like online, you see them? Yeah, well, I guess I just assume that vegans are just kind of, like I see certain things online and I'm like, oh, this person's a vegan. And I'm like, that insane motherfucker is a vegan? I think that there's a difference between, I guess, what I think of as like real vegans or not real vegans. Like if somebody says, oh, I was vegan for two years and I just couldn't do it anymore. You were never a fucking vegan, you shit. I'm sorry. That's extreme. You don't think that sounds elitist? It's obviously elitist. And at this point, hopefully only vegans are listening. But (laughs) (laughs) okay, whatever. I'm just saying that just because someone's a vegan doesn't mean that they are anything besides a vegan. Yeah. Statistically, they lean more toward being liberal, but it doesn't mean that everyone will be. A growing number of vegans are vegan for environmental reasons. Mm-hmm. So that makes a difference. If you're just vegan like people used to be in like the 90s for animal rights, then you literally could be anyone. If you're freegan, you're definitely not conservative, I would guess. <laughs> <laughs> What's our motto? What's our signing off motto? From our family to yours. How are we going to get these people, like, a link to the book or, like... Well, we'll I'll just, like, read it off. No, you're not going to read... <laughs> if any of you guys would like to purchase my book, it is called Violet Underground, which is going to be the title of this podcast, and... The link is in the description. Yeah. But also, Violet Underground by Emma White. Look it up on Amazon. Soon to be a ebook. For now, just a book. Just a book? Yeah, that's all it is, just a book, which is fucking awesome.